Will more than two banks fail? Is it time to buy gold? Recently, the FDIC took over two banks that were in trouble. Now we have reports that an additional 20 regional banks have in excess of $650 billion in bond losses. The Fed admits that their increase in interest rates have done little to bring inflation under control. They may well increase the amount and frequency of interest rates. Isn't it time to consider gold in your portfolio? From January 1st, 2023 to today, the price of gold is up twice as much as the S&P 500. Go to blacksandwhites.us, click on the gold bar, and reach out to Advisors Metals and ask Ira, is gold right for you? Call now. It's important. Welcome to Black and White, a conversation with Dan Perkins. It's time to bring all of us together to talk about the issues that concern us. It's time to hear from people who want to deal with only the facts. And it's time for you as Americans to re-engage in your right of freedom of speech. It's time for you to join me in the conversation on Blacks and Whites. Welcome to Black and Whites. And joining us today is the author of the longest title I've ever seen. Um, it's um, it's really uh, Gordon Knight is here, and and his, the title of his book is Deep Six Diaries: The True Story of One Little Guy Trying to Defend Himself, His Business, and His Elderly Father from Bullying Bureaucrats and Government Criminality. Whew, that's almost a book in itself. <laughs> I think officially that's a subtitle, but it works. We'll take it. Yeah, I understand. Okay, so welcome to the show, sir. Um, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Well, thank you for having me, Dan. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, you know, we publish electrical books is my business. We've been doing that for about 50 years. We're very well established, and we only publish, Dan, in the Canadian market. But the reason why this book came about and the reason why you and I are having this conversation is that the Canadian government uh, was quite upset with me. Uh, they decided to ban the book that you just referred to. So while I'm, I'm very pleased to have people be aware of it, you can't sell it. Uh, it has been uh, banned by the government because we were exposing a lot of things they didn't want to have exposed, specifically on areas of privately owned legislation. Uh, we got into this back in 2012 when the Canadian government sued my company uh, for quoting or referencing the rule of law in our guidebooks. And they were saying that we weren't allowed to refer to the rule of law without paying them a royalty for doing so. And we thought that was a little bit absurd. I'd, I'd never heard of anything like that. So we defended ourselves. And wait, 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 wait. Let me ask you a question. Sure. I just want to make sure I understood what you said. The government of Canada wanted you to pay a royalty for using the phrase rule of law. The government of Canada wanted me to pay a royalty, uh, Dan, for referring to the law. So if I were to, you know, if you think about electrical law in your bathroom, for example, how far you can have a plug outlet from a sink, that's that's regulated at law for safety reasons, right? Yeah. Well, in order to give instructions on how to comply with that, we have to quote the distance that is required at law. And the moment we quote the distance, we're quoting law. And that's what they said we weren't allowed to do. People aren't supposed to know what the laws are unless they pay the bureaucrat for the right to know it. That's the argument. Wow. Wow, indeed. But the real crime wasn't our refusing to pay the royalty. The, the real crime was trying to defend ourselves, Dan. That was where the bureaucrats got very upset with us. They did take us to court on copyright violation grounds for quoting the law. Uh, and uh, we lost uh, in Canada. We got what's called... Manson's Law in Canada, which made all legislation the private property of whomever drafted it or lobbied for it. 
And that's, that is kind of absurd. You know, when, when you think of, of courts, you usually think of the judges, right? And some judges have a good reputation, some have a bad reputation. But we rarely think about the bureaucrats behind the scenes that do the doing of the court. And they're the ones that schedule the cases. They're the ones that allocate judges to particular files. And in my case, uh, in my fight between you know, myself and uh, the civil service agency, they actually appointed as a judge an employee of that civil service agency. So they ruled in favor of their coworkers. That's how we got private law. This went all the way up to the Supreme Court in Canada. And the reason this is relevant down here, Dad, is they're now trying the same thing in the United States. So we've got private law in Canada already, and private law is coming in the U.S. What, what have, how widespread is private law in Canada? In Canada, well, all legislation technically is privately owned now in Canada. So that's about as widespread as you can get. But really, it's only down to two owners of legislation, the civil service itself, and with, with, with some irony, uh, my company. We have a copyright assignment covering the text of electrical law that predates the ruling. So there are only two entities in Canada that own those laws. Now, because uh, the civil service is one of them, they're happily invoicing the government of Canada every time the law is used or referenced or quoted and they get paid. It's, it's a multi-billion dollar racket, really. If you think about it like a self-assessed bonus at the end of the year, the civil service can pay themselves whatever they want. They're already paid for writing the law. Now they can get paid a bonus on top and they decide how much it is. So they write, the, the, uh, to, to put it in the context uh, for the United States, we have the Senate and the House and most, uh, a lot of legislation dealing with revenue originates at the House Ways and Means Committee and then it goes through other committees and it goes to the floor and then it goes to the Senate and all that stuff. We take ourselves down to the line of being able to uh, not be able to to support the government and so we get on a monday monday at uh, 12 midnight we get a 7000 page document that they're going to vote on on wednesday and um we we we're doing it more and more and 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 we we have no time for our elected officials to spend any time studying what's been drafted by bureaucrats uh, over uh, over months and um, uh, but they don't get paid for for writing the law per se they uh, they can enforce the law once the law is passed by Congress but it it sounds like what you're saying is that they write and publish the law paid for doing that is that correct uh, yes, Dan, but that's only part of the equation. Uh, they're right. paid for doing it, but they're also paid every time the government enforces it. If you think of, um, say, speed laws, when you see a speed sign on the road, if that was a privately owned law for the speed on that road, the owner, whoever lobbied for it, could conceal the sign and charge motorists to know what the speed limit is. So that's one revenue stream. Then they charge invoice the governments every time they enforce the law, because that's a use of their law. Then they can charge people who would like to be exempted from the speed on that street, and they just won't allow the government to enforce the law against those people. So they can charge them a rate. So you've got multiple streams of revenue on one ownership of legislation. But, but uh, again, I, I apologize for interrupting. This is all new to me, uh, and I'm, I'm trying to understand it. Did, are you saying that if there's a speed limit sign that says 25 miles an hour, 
every time it's used, was every time a driver goes past it, somebody gets paid for that sign? Under the legislation, under the Manson's law ruling, the legislation of private law, the answer is yes. And you're struggling, Dan, because it's absurd. That's what we've got to work with right now. So did 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 I also <laughs> I know this is I'm going to sound crazy when I say it this way, but but are you also saying that the person who owns the sign can post the sign with no number on it, no speed limit and still charge people for it? going by the sign? Uh, the answer is yes, because it is their private property. <laughs> when they passed private law, all of the ownership rights of private property accrue to the owners of law. It's no different than owning your car, Dan. You get to choose who sits in it, who rides in it. You can charge people if you want to go with Uber or something, and you can sell your car. So laws can be bought and sold as commodities. They can be sold to a different country, even. So if I, do I own that 25 mile an hour speed limit sign for a specific distance or over the entire country? It would depend on what you lobbied for because it all comes back to what you wrote or what you proposed or what you asked for. If you lobbied for it on your street, you would own it for your street. If you were you know, lobbying for lower speeds across the country and you succeeded, then you would own those speeds across the country. It all comes down to what you actually lobbied for. So in the U.S. context, you've got all these lobbyists going down. K Street is awash in lobbyists, as you know, and every last one of them would own whatever bill, whatever 7,000-page document they managed to get passed into law. You said that it's coming to the United States. Can you give us an example? Yes, I can. Uh, in the last Congress, they had a bill, which was, I can give you the number, it's H.R. 6769, which was what's called the Pro-Codes Bill, and it was sort of Orwellianly titled. It was pitched as a way to enhance public access to the law, but it was all about getting copyright over the law. And so it's, it's I say Orwellian because it did exactly the opposite of what it's titled to do. Co copyright is all about restricting public access in trade for money, right? So that's what they're trying to get here. Now that bill died at the end of Congress. I happen to know, Dan, that, that last week on Thursday, uh, a, there was one of these uh, private law advocacy groups hitting up various members of Congress for a new version of that bill to hit this Congress before the end of the year. So not only is it on the way, they're, they're, they're pushing very hard for this, given the scale of financial benefit they would get if they could get this thing passed. Okay, so I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be absurd, okay? I'm trying an absurd example. We have an interstate highway system. Interstate in the United States, Interstate 70 runs from coast to coast. And under what you're talking about, if I put us, I get a private bill that says I can have a sign indicating miles or distance from one end to the other of the interstate highway system route 70, assuming I could get it passed, then I own, I own that sign for the entire 2,500 miles length or width of the country? Yes. If you could get it passed, the answer is yes. You would own that speed law on that road, on the distance defined by that bill. So how does, how does, I, I have, just, I'm sorry, I'm just fascinated by what you're telling me uh, because it sounds so absurd. What is the, what, I'm, this is absurd. Okay. I'm going to use an example we just talked about. I own a 25 mile an hour sign. But there's no number on it because I don't have to disclose what the number is 
you have to figure out what it is, and I get paid by whoever is using the road with my sign. Where does the police come in? Well, the police have the same job they've got right now. The only difference is that every time the police issue a ticket, their bosses also have to get uh, pay a royalty for the use of that speed sign or that speed law. Who who is behind this movement in the United States? It's the same same outfit that was pushing for it in Canada. It's what's called CSA Group, the acronym CSA. It patterns itself as a uh, private company, but Dan, they're actually a government agency of the Canadian Civil Service. So they've got the federal treasury funds them, they've got all their staff as civil servants, et cetera. They're unambiguously a government agency, but they're operating inside the United States. And so hence the need to call themselves a private company because it's not actually legal to do that for them. They are the biggest drivers of private law anywhere in the world because they succeeded in Canada. So they're the only uh, civil service entity that has ever succeeded at owning the laws that they're drafting. And that's why they've got credibility with any other civil servants here in the United States. They are the example to follow in order to get on the gravy train. Have they, no, no other country, no European countries or other countries around the world have this kind of law? Well, I, I can't speak for third world countries. I don't have versing there, but in the Western world, Canada is the only country that has been daft enough to actually make laws private property. We have been having a fascinating conversation with Gordon Knight, who is the author of the book called Deep Six Diaries, subtitled The True Story of One Little Guy's Trying to Defend Himself, His Business, and His Elderly Father from Bullying Bureaucrats and Government Criminality. And uh, how can they get your book? Well, Dan, they, they actually can't. I, I'd love to sell copies of this thing, but it has been banned by the governments now. So uh, it, it is actually unavailable. What I'm trying to do in these radio shows is build public awareness because I'm unable to actually sell copies. You can't sell it in the United States? No, I, I'm, I'm in the United States. I'm based in, in Texas, actually. Uh, no, what, they, what the government did is they contacted Amazon and told them that the book that I wrote is a counterfeit book. Dan, it has my name on the cover of it, but, but they're claiming it's counterfeit. And because the allegation comes from a government, Amazon took it seriously and they won't list the product. Likewise, our website, we could sell. We've been selling books online for, for decades. But the government told the uh, credit card companies in the United States that we were involved in money laundering, which is absolute hogwash. But as soon as a government makes an allegation of money laundering, the financial companies just shut you down as far as making any transactions at all. So on those basis, we actually can't sell the book. We'd love to, but we can't. It's a banned book. Well, we're going to, we're going to take a break here. and We'll come back with... Uh this fascinating story in just a moment. We'll be right back. We are Americans, male and female, from many races and cultures from all over the world. One thing above all else is we are patriots who protect our nation and defend when necessary our Constitution from attacks both foreign and domestic. Today, as American patriots, we must take back our country from those who want to destroy it and us. We must start by taking back our children and their education. Parents, not union, should be in charge of our children's education. We must be sure that they are taught about the greatness of America and its people. Our children should not be indoctrinated with the belief that parents are racist and are evil and trying to destroy the world. As patriots, we must take back our country 
from foreign nations who want to destroy us and our way of life. Yes, as patriots, we want America to be first. We want an open and fair trade policy, energy independence, safe cities, and secure borders where we can grow and prosper as a nation of free people. Become an American patriot. Help take back America by voting Republican. Welcome back, and we're having a fascinating conversation with Gordon Knight, who is the author of one of the longer t- story titles, Deep Six Diaries, the true story of one little guy trying to defend himself, his business, and his elderly father from bullying bureaucrats and government criminality. Well, Gordon, you, you, you took me to a place I'd never been before uh, <laughs> with your fascinating story in the first segment. Let's, let's continue. Sure. Um, As I understand, I've been trying to digest all this while we're talking. We we were talking about road signs, but in essence, anything that can be copyrighted can come under this rule. Uh, well, this rule specifically applies to legislation. So anything that is passed into law is automatically now the property of whomever drafted it. And look, if if some government department. Uh, considers it a government bill, that is, the government drafted it, well, that's fair enough. But critically, if civil servants get together and they say, no, you know, we're going to take credit for that ourselves, now all of a sudden that bill uh, is subject to all kinds of royalty payments and permissions and exclusivities and that sort of thing, as any commodity would be. So, so let, me, let, me be, uh, let me try and be very specific in, in this question. Um, we have a United States congressman who sits on the tax writing committee, the Ways and Means Committee of the House of Representatives. Mm-hmm. He introduces legislation that is going to ch- change the tax code and what we pay uh, in taxes. And if that bill under, under the Canadian scenario is is that congressman who writes the bill the person who receives the royalty? Actually, a congressman I don't know, Dan, because they're under certain immunities and so forth because they're deemed to represent the people. Whether or not they do, let's put that to a side. I don't know about the, whether it would apply to a congressman, but their staff it could apply to if the staff wrote it. Or if a lobby firm wrote it and handed it to the congressman, it would apply to that. But I don't know if it would apply to the congressman specifically. You know, I I can give you a very specific example, relatable here. Let's deal with electrical law, something I know very well. Okay. I have the copyright assignment covering electrical law in Canada. So I am an owner of that law outright. Now, that means that I can invoice governments, and I have been doing so. I have the legal right to seize government property in the event of non-payment of those invoices. That's kind of surreal. I can sell that law to a foreign country if I choose to. And that foreign country then would own the domestic electrical law in Canada. Now, because electrical law governs the transmission of electricity, the use of electricity, the generation of electricity, that foreign country could decide, you know, we're just not all that keen on allowing your country to use electricity. It's our property. You cannot use this law and you cannot use electricity without using the laws governing electricity. Therefore, we can shut down your country. Now, ignore practicalities for a second. 
from a de jure perspective, that is from a legal perspective, a foreign country would then have the right, a veto right over the economy of the country of the law they own. It, it is, what I'm describing is absurd in the extreme, but that is exactly what Manson's law allows us to do. But if you if you take it from the from the standpoint of let's talk about the United States and I don't I suspect that Canada has some similar laws. If you if if you have laws on the books about the use of fossil fuels to generate electricity, and you pass legislation that uh, you have to cut it back a certain percentage every year then the Green New Deal equivalent in Canada, if they, if they have written the bill, and it clearly would be an incentive for them to write it, would receive royalties for all of the oil or natural gas or coal that's used to generate electricity because the law says they have to cut it back, and if they don't, you get paid a royalty. Is that, is that a fair characterization? It is a fair characterization, but I'd go one step further on that. Whoever drafted that law, because it is theirs, they can also submit a list of names to the government and say, these people on this list are exempted from the law. You cannot enforce the law on these persons or these companies. Because again, that law is privately owned. So they get to choose who the law is enforced on. It creates two tiers of persons in society. Wow. Wow. Uh, how long has this law been in effect? Uh, it came into effect in 2016, so it's fairly recent. Uh, as soon as it came in, I obviously vowed I was going to uh, appeal it on the way up. Um, but as soon as it came into effect, to make a point, Dan, I, I started exercising on my rights on the law and started invoicing the governments of Canada for their use of my property. And some of them have paid, not many, but some of them have paid. The government has the luxury of ignoring invoices when it feels like it, but we have had some payments on this already. My opponent, that is the civil service agency called CSA, all of their invoices have been paid since 2016. So ignoring for a second the fact that the government can ignore my invoices if they feel like it, the law is not only passed, it's not only in effect, but it has already been roughly half a decade worth of enforcement and payment based upon it. So do you have a right to sue the government for not making their payments? Sure, I do. But it would be go before the same court that arranged the Manson's Law ruling in the first place. So it, it is not a lot of point in doing that. Uh, look, you know, if you wonder, if your listeners may be wondering why it is that all of these issues before the court that are so important to conservatives always somehow end up in front of an Obama-appointed judge. It's usually because the civil servants behind the scenes are arranging which judge hears which case. Well, in that context, it would be my opponents, the civil servants who don't want to pay me a dime, deciding who would hear the case, my complaining that they're not paying me a dime. It, it really is kind of a lost cause to hit it up in court. But what about it in the United States? Well, the United States is a bit more sane on those sorts of things. There was a Supreme Court ruling about two years ago on the question of privately owned law. And for your reference or your listeners reference, it was the Georgia versus public resource case. And the Supreme Court was unambiguous, saying that the United States court will not acknowledge claims of ownership over legislation. So it's there's no way you can get it here. But Dan, just so you know, CSA, this government agency in Canada, has court cases against me in the United States as well. 
And in January of this year, in Texas, a federal court, Texas, Austin, they secured an acknowledgement of the legitimacy of Manson's law. So even though the Supreme Court has ruled on it, federal court in this country has already acknowledged legitimacy of private claims of ownership over the law. It's kind of thin edge, edge of the wedge thing. Once they get that in one court, they can expand upon it. So you see what's happening. They're pushing legislatively for it, and they're pushing in the courts for it at the same time. There's a lot of money incentivizing this push. I would think so. There could be trillions eventually. Really? Yes. Um, I want to move on just a little bit because I, I was intrigued by your extremely long subtitle. You, you say uh, trying to defend himself, his business, and his elderly father. What was going on with your father? Well, uh, my business has been around for a little over half a century, um, but I'm about half a century old. So as you can tell, my father started the business and I took it over at his retirement. So when, when they sued us, my father had been retired for about two years. He was in his mid eighties. He was very definitely no longer involved in the company, um, but they sued him as well, trying to take away all of his retirement savings. And it was sort of an extortionary move. Um, they were trying to compel me to pay them off, essentially, like a shakedown. Um, and uh, I, I did actually speak with their CEO at the time, a man named Ash Sahi, in Calgary in 2014. We had a negotiation together, a one-on-one. -on -one. And I pointed out to him that my father was mid-80s in failing health, and this was really unfair on him. He had nothing to do with the business at all. And as a good faith gesture, it would be very nice if the government would maybe just lay off, let him off of the, the thing. They can keep hitting me, but let him go. And he responded to me, Dan, with a line that I, I noted in the book, I'll probably take to my grave. He looked at me and said, we're going to keep hurting your father until you give us what we want. And, you know, I'm a pretty good poker face in negotiation, but I think I let something slip there because he saw my reaction and burst out laughing. Uh, it, it was a callousness that I, I wasn't really expecting, but that's why they were hitting him so hard for all those years in his, in his last years, because they knew that he and I were very close. And this was a way of, of compelling me to do what they wanted. That was the defending my father. Wow. Unbelievable. Yeah. Um, do you have a sense of, how this got started? Yes, well, they were looking for a way to, to secure private law, and they needed a case, a court case. What they'd done in Canada is they'd, they'd gone to the Senate, which in Canada, the Senate is sort of a rubber stamp office. They, they, we don't elect senators in Canada. So they went to the Senate because they're, they're usually easier to work with and convinced them to put an, a declaration forward that laws are private property. And because it comes from the Senate, it's sort of meaningless. Then they could take that to court if they had the right court case and say, look, the Senate has already agreed. And then they can build on that with the court ruling. And so they needed one to start the other. In, once they'd secured that, that statement from the Senate, I was their court case. They looked at my books. They said, you're, you're referencing the rule of law without a permission. And so they took me to court. I was the perfect candidate to advance the issue for them. Incidentally, that's exactly what they're doing in the US with this court case I mentioned from January while simultaneously pushing in Congress for a declaration that says about the same thing. So that's how I sort of got sucked into this whole thing. Now, full disclosure, Dan, uh, they were willing to uh, have me make a massive payment to make the whole problem go away. Um, 
a little bit like, you know, a nice little business you've got there. It would be a shame if anything were to happen to it. Just pay us a little bit of money and we'll be fine. The problem was that um, in Canada, at least, the civil service isn't, uh, most civil servants are lifers. They don't have a lot of business experience. And what they were demanding for a royalty payment for permission to refer to the rule of law was actually a higher dollar value than the retail price of the book it applied to, which means it is mathematically impossible to pay it. And so I, I didn't even have the choice mathematically to pay protection money. I had to defend myself. That's how I got stuck in this. Wow. Unbelievable. Mm. Wow. Uh, fascinating story. And uh, <clears throat> I wish I could tell our audience where to go to get the book, but uh, you can't do that. Um, <laughs> um, <clears throat> we've been speaking with Gordon Knight, and uh, the, he's the... Uh, author of a um, fascinating book called Deep Six Diaries, the true story of one little guy's trying to defend himself, his business, and his elderly father from bullying bureaucrats and government criminality. We need to talk again uh, offline and see what we can do when you get further down your, down your research. But thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much, Dan. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. Take care. And we'll be right back. Thank you for joining us today. And we'd like to hear your comments or questions. So go to bwradionetwork.com. That's bwradionetwork.com. And give us your questions or comments. And thanks for joining us today.